The Old Testament reading for this, the fourth Sunday after Pentecost, comes from the prophet Isaiah, the 66th chapter. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her, that you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast, that you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see, and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. This is the word of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Their voice has gone out to all the earth. The epistle reading comes from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia, the sixth chapter. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. But far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel, which serves as the text for our sermon this morning, comes to us according to St. Luke, the 10th chapter. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, where the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable in the judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You shall be brought down to Hades. The one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. The seventy-two returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And this is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, to you, Lord Grace mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Wanted disciples must be willing to walk many miles like lambs among wolves, suffer many things, and be rejected by most. Starting pay, zero. Now, if Jesus had taken out a classified ad like that, who in their right mind would apply for that job? Nobody, that's who. And so it's a good thing that Jesus chose them instead of waiting for them to choose Jesus. Because you see, nobody applies to be a Christian. Nobody signs up for the job. Nobody reads an ad and says, you know, I think this Christian thing is right for me. Number one, none of us are qualified. We are all pitifully inadequate and unworthy. But more than that, As sinners, we are unable to come to God on our own. We are not able to choose Jesus, to come to him, to say, Yep, I want to be a Christian. We are dead in our sin. And dead people don't volunteer for anything. And even if we could, by our sin, we are enemies of God. Our sinful nature hates God, and it wants nothing to do with Him. And so if God was just hanging up flyers and waiting for His church to come to Him, it ain't going to happen. So thanks be to God that instead, He calls us 
despite our sin. He makes us alive. He makes us a new creation and gives us all that we need to wear that glorious name of Jesus Christ. In our gospel reading today, we see this in action in a very real way. Jesus calls 72 people to be his disciples and heralds. People to go before him throughout the countryside and make preparations for his ministry. Not just setting up hotel reservations and meal plans, but speaking the infallible word of God. Proclaiming that the long-awaited Messiah is coming to speak to them. Can you imagine how these 72 must have felt? Well, first of all, they would have felt such joy at being chosen by Jesus Christ. Yes, these were chosen from the followers of Jesus, those who were there to hear what he had to say, those who had already had faith worked in their hearts. They knew that this was an honor. They knew that this was something big and important, that God himself in the flesh was saying, I want you to go and do work for me. After following such a great man, to think that he would take notice of you, would give you such an important job. The joy they must have felt at first. But then as they received their marching orders, though, I'm guessing that joy faded a little bit. Jesus doesn't say, I'm sending you out there like a rock star. Here's a billion dollars. Take the disciple credit card. It's got no limit on it. Use whatever you want. No. He says, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. That doesn't sound very pleasant because we all know what happens to lambs surrounded by wolves. He says, carry no money bag, no knapsack, no spare sandals. Don't go out there as if this is a vacation. Go out there. Do the work. Greet no one on the road, he says. Focus only on the task at hand. Don't go out there and build yourself up and brag, hey, I'm with the Jesus Club. You've got work to do. And what is that work? Proclaiming God's judgment to those who will not believe. Those who reject the Messiah. Those who say, yeah, we don't want this Jesus guy in our town. The disciples aren't supposed to just kind of brush it off and go, no, we get that, we know, you're busy. No. They are to proclaim God's judgment, to shake the dust of that town off their feet and say, if you want nothing to do with God, then God has nothing to do with you. And that's not a popular message. That's not a message that people want to hear. That's a message that actually puts them in personal danger. Because telling a whole town that it has nothing to do with God and Israel, that could be seen as blasphemy. And they could be stoned to death. Jesus makes it clear that their job will be dangerous. That it will be unpopular. That they will be rejected by many and they are going to receive very little earthly reward for what they do. And yet, they go. Sent by Jesus, they go. And despite all the problems, despite all the things that they wish they maybe had, 
despite the fact that the world would say that's a terrible job, why would you ever apply for that? They go and they rejoice in the success that they have. They have healed the sick in the name of Jesus. They have even driven out demons in the name of Jesus Christ. Against all odds, against the fact that it seems they were set up to fail, they have won some huge victories. And so they come back. They report back to Jesus and they rejoice and they say, look at all the things that we've done, Lord. But then they're told the ultimate reason to rejoice. Jesus says, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. All the honor, all the success that they have enjoyed, in the long run, those things are really nothing. Those glories will fade, and future defeats are quickly going to overshadow them. But the one thing that will never fade, the one thing that will never disappoint, the greatest honor and glory that they will ever have is the fact that their name is written in heaven. They are Christians. They are cleansed of their sin. They are given entrance into the eternal paradise of heaven. They are forgiven by the very message that they themselves proclaim, and they have the absolute assurance of eternal life in God's eternal kingdom. That's where their joy truly lies. And this It's what all of us as Christians feel in our lives as well. We too feel such great joy to be chosen by Jesus Christ. We know that we were dead in our sin. We know that we have nothing whatsoever to offer God. We know that he doesn't need anything from us. But Jesus came to us, called us by name, gave us notice when we didn't deserve anything but wrath and condemnation. And we are honored. We rejoice that he, God himself in the flesh, the creator of all things, took notice of us sinners. We rejoice to be made Christians. But then we realize just what being a Christian actually means. It's not just this constant feeling of happiness and joy. It's not a magic bubble that protects us from all the evil and wickedness and pain and suffering in this world. In fact, oftentimes, it's the opposite. To be a Christian means that you have been declared a sworn enemy of Satan and the sinful world around you. And you now stand against the forces of evil that fill this world. And they will fight tooth and nail to try to bring you back. As a Christian, you are a traitor to their cause. You have left their camp of darkness. You have turned your back on them, and you are now with their enemy. And a traitor is the most hated sort of enemy that you can imagine. You are a traitor to Satan, and he wants to destroy you. To be a Christian means turning your back on the world. It means turning your back on your sinful urges. And that is not easy. 
Sin will always be hounding us. Sin will always be trying to call us back, trying to get us to give in, convincing us that it's not such a big deal. Go ahead and do it. Just once won't matter, or twice, or three times, or forever. Let sin be your identity. Live in it. That's the way God made you, isn't it? All of these things continue to try to pull you back to Satan. Being a Christian means that our very family and friends will sometimes be against us. Because the message that we speak is not popular in this world. It doesn't sound tolerant. It doesn't fit with the theology of the world today. It doesn't fit with the people around us. It means that we will be challenged constantly by a world that does not want us to believe. By a world that desperately wants to drag us back into the slavery of sin, into the fiery clutches of Satan, the whole time convincing us that it's not so bad. This is what we are called to do as Christians. And it is not easy. But despite the difficulty of being a Christian, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we rejoice in our victories. We rejoice as God's holy word works faith in the hearts of those around us. We rejoice as those people in our lives that we thought would never have anything to do with the church are made Christians as well by the Holy Spirit. We rejoice that we are able to play a role, no matter how small, in that frontline battle against Satan, knowing the entire time that we win. We may lose battles from time to time. We may lose skirmishes. We may take heavy casualties. But the war is won by Jesus Christ. And so we rejoice even in the midst of that fight. We rejoice as we use our talents and our offerings to proclaim the word of God here and throughout the entire world. We rejoice at all of the opportunities we have been given by God to share that good news of Jesus Christ with our words, with our actions, with everything that we do. We rejoice that in spite of our sinful nature, God can use sinners like us to change the lives of others, to give them the eternal peace and joy that we ourselves have been given. And yet, our greatest joy doesn't come from any of these earthly victories. Yes, we rejoice in them. Yes, we give thanks to God that he allows us these victories. But if we focus just on those, we're selling ourselves short. And we start to think that maybe we're the ones doing the work. Maybe we're great missionaries. Maybe we're the ones that are holding up the kingdom of God. And without us, the whole thing's going to fall apart. There are those who have a sinful pride in their Christian life and works. But when those fail, when sin overwhelms them, when those victories stop, what are they left with? Nothing, if their pride is in themselves. And so Jesus says, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In our epistle reading, Paul the Apostle, says, Far be it from me to boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, if any Christian throughout history had reason to boast of the work that they did, it was Paul 
the mission journeys that he did, the suffering that he endured, the imprisonments, even being martyred for his faith. And yet, he will not boast in himself. Just like the disciples who were sent out, Paul rejoices solely in the cross of Jesus Christ, by which his name was written in the book of life in heaven. The only victory that never fades, never disappoints, is the victory that we have been given by the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our sinful, undeserving, wretched lives, they have been washed clean by his perfect sacrifice. While we were dead in our sin, he came to us because we could not come to him, and he gave everything to make us his children. All of our sins have been forgiven because he gave his life for us. And because we are forgiven, because he suffered and died in our place, because he rose again from the grave, we too will live forever. Jesus Christ, who was without sin and yet died under the weight of all of our sin, he defeated death and he rose from the grave. And now we too, who were once filled with sin, who were corrupted to the core, who were identified by our sin. By grace, through faith, we are made perfect, and we are now without sin, covered in his robe of righteousness and perfection. And so we share in his victory, and we too will rise from the grave. No matter what might befall us, no matter how fierce the battle might be, Our joy is eternal. When staggering defeat hits us, we will still rejoice that our names are written in the book of life. When nobody is listening to what we have to say about Jesus, when we are ridiculed for our Christian beliefs and values, when we give in to our weak and cowardly flesh, hiding our Christian light, indulging our sinful nature, we are still forgiven. And we are still forgiven. God's own children. God is with us at all times, and he is the one that we boast in. You probably heard the saying that God will never give us more than we can handle. That's not completely true. God will never give us more than he can handle. Our strength is not in ourselves. It is in God and God alone. And by the grace of God, the Christian life, it's not one just of affliction and sorrow. Even here in this valley of tears, there are times when we will rejoice because we will seem unbeatable to this world. When everyone listens in rapture as we elegantly proclaim the cross, as we see those little victories around us, when people all around us are coming to faith, when amazing and miraculous things are happening in our congregation in rural Iowa, we will rejoice. Not in ourselves, but we will rejoice that God himself is doing these things through us and even in spite of us. He is the one who has forgiven us. He is the one who works faith in the hearts of unbelievers. He is the one who strengthens us in that one true faith. He is the one who walks with us every step of the way. He and he alone can turn the hearts of sinners to faith and call those who are dead in their sin 
to the glory and honor of being a Christian. And so rejoice, dear friends in Christ. Rejoice that you have been chosen to do the difficult work of God here on earth. Rejoice even when that work is so hard, even impossible. Rejoice when you see the fruits of that labor as God works faith in the hearts of those around you and as you see the Holy Spirit at work in everything that you do. But let your joy be complete as you realize what your ultimate joy and victory truly are. Your names are written in heaven, not because of the great works that you have done, not because of your strength, not because of anything that you have done, but because of the eternal work that he has done for you and in you. For by the cross of Jesus Christ alone, by his empty tomb alone, you are forgiven of all of your sin, and heaven is yours. Thanks be to God. Amen.